Hello, this is Aaron Saft on the MR Running Pains podcast. With 30 years of running experience and 20 years of coaching, I thought it time to share with you things I've learned and people I've met so that you can try things for yourself and see if they help your running. Thanks for joining me. Wrote this song while crew and Aaron on a 100-mile foot race through the trails in the rain and mud. How about that? junkies, diggers of dirt, and runners of all ages. I have a, uh, a fun episode today. Um, I get to talk about our four-legged best friends and running companions, our dogs. Um, <clears throat> many of you know, uh, and those of you that don't, I have a six-year-old miniature Australian shepherd named Miles. Um, Miles and I share many, many miles together. Um, he is, um, you know, such a great trail companion. Um, love running with my buddy. Um, and, uh, I am, uh, hosting Mark Ledyard, Dr. Mark Ledyard. He is a veterinarian here in Western North Carolina in Asheville. And, uh, we are going to talk all about, uh, how to get your dog running, what's safe for your dog, tips for running with your dog, all that. Uh, so this is going to be a, a special, obviously, about dogs. Um, 
Mark owns and operates the Charlotte Street Animal Hospital, and I'll uh, I'll have his contact in the show notes. Um, and uh, you know, I just have to say that um, if you get to know your your dog and uh, and watch the signs for its fatigue and and, uh, and tiredness uh, when it's thirsty, uh, you'll get to know it. But you have to be observant. You have to watch your dog. Um, you can't just lose focus on your run. You have to constantly be thinking about them uh, and and train them well. Uh, Miles sticks to my heel. I know he won't go chase any animals. He doesn't chase squirrels, deer. <laughs> Thank God he doesn't chase bear. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and we've had our encounters, as uh, Mark and I will talk about. But, um, you know, obedience is a major thing, and training your dog is huge. So, um, you know, if you get your dog as a pup, uh, it is great to talk uh, to uh, to someone that knows how to train them, uh, you know, uh, go to uh, obedience school, uh, find a good trainer to help you, uh, you know, and make your dog understand and listen to your commands so that uh, it is attentive to you and will do whatever you're asking. Um, you know, we want to keep our, our friends safe uh, the best we can. So, um, that's the best way to do it is, uh, is make sure that they are on the same page as you and you on the same page as them paying very close attention to them. So, um, really, uh, uh, I enjoyed this conversation with Mark. I hope you guys learned something from it. And I know I took a few things away, so I imagine you will. Um, at the end of the show, I have, uh, my special announcement. So, um, stay tuned to the end and, uh, I can't wait to, to tell you the big news. So, uh, without further ado, here is Dr. Mark Ledyard. Uh, as I said in the introduction today, I have with me uh, Dr. Mark Ledyard. And Mark, how are you today? I'm doing well. Excellent, man. Um, you know, before we get started here on, on our topic uh, about uh, running with uh, our dogs, why don't you... Uh, Give everybody a, a background on you. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a veterinarian. I graduated from the University of Tennessee. Um, grew up in Michigan. But when I came down uh, to Maxville for vet school, I'm like, the weather here is so much nicer. And so I ended up, you know, uh, kind of staying in the area. And that's how I ended up uh, eventually, you know, moving to Asheville. Uh, I've been in Asheville about 25 years now. And started uh, Charlotte Street Animal Hospital in 1998. Uh, so I've been uh, been running the Charlotte Street Animal Hospital since. Excellent. Um, and do you guys deal mostly with uh, small animals? Yeah. So dogs and cats, um, and then occasionally some, you know, rabbits, you know, gerbils, things like that, little pocket pets. But the vast majority is as uh, dogs and cats. And now, are you a dog person or a cat person? I like them both. You know, currently my wife is allergic to cats, so I don't have a cat currently. So I have to get all my cat fix just at the office. Uh, but I have a couple of dogs here at home. Nice. Nice. And do you run with any of them? I got a Vizsla that uh, specifically for running with. And um, he is a little bit heat intolerant. So we run in the winter, but he he can't handle it in the summer. And that's just one of those things you just, you never know. We're all individuals. And um, so anyways, he enjoys it when we get out in the wintertime, but um, summers is just for walks only. And is that typical for the breed or uh, is that something that can be found across breeds? 
Yeah, it's it's something that you don't. There's no, no way that you're going to predict it. Uh, Vizslas typically end up being a good breed, you know, to run with. Um, but again, we're all individuals, and so we all, you know, might not all be cut out for running. And how did you recognize that heat intolerance? Just, you know, it would not take very long and he would really just start to kind of lag, you know, and uh, you could just tell his energy was really low. Uh, so he just didn't have any stamina, um, you know, and it was very obvious because, you know, wintertime you go and he just runs and runs and runs. But, you know, just within literally within 10 minutes, I could tell that he was starting to kind of fall behind and he was just kind of struggling. Gotcha. So obviously got to be careful with the, the heat with, with that um, dog. Yeah. Um, just a quick question on there. Cause I've heard both ways. So dogs in when it's hot and if they have a, a long hair or a long coat, um, I've heard that you don't trim it in the summers because it helps them stay cooler. It keeps the air retained next to the body. Is that true? Well, I mean, trimming the hair doesn't necessarily make a difference. So it's more like the thickness of the hair. Okay. Uh, so a lot of the longer haired dogs will be a little bit more fine. Um, you know, people that have uh, labs, you know, they think that uh, Labrador Retriever, you know, they're thinking, oh, with short hair, that's going to be great. And then they find out that they've actually got a double coat. And so they're just shedding all the time. So people with a lab end up needing to vacuum like twice as much as some of these dogs with long hair. So it's more thickness of the hair um, and having some of those like huskies and, and dogs like that have that kind of a down undercoat that will help to insulate them and keep them warm. And um, how do dogs dissipate their heat? So the majority of it is going to be just evaporation off of their lungs. Uh, so that's why they're panting. You know, some of it will kind of evaporate off their tongue, but it's really um, you know, where we, we sweat. And so then the water evaporates off our skin. They don't sweat. And so the water that's evaporating is the moisture like, you know, out of their out of their lungs and out of their mouth. So. Um, that's why you want to make sure that they have plenty of water available so that they can kind of keep, you know, their tongues, their mouth wet, because uh, like I said, that's how they're um, dissipating heat. Um, so obviously you with running with uh, with your dog, it, it is a healthy activity for, for dogs um, to it, you know to an extent, right? Yeah, yeah, it certainly can be. Um, and again, you know, just like with people, we're all individuals. Some people love running. Uh, some people hate running, you know, same with the dogs. Some dogs love to run. Some dogs uh, just aren't into it at all. And so you just kind of, you know, have to, you can't force them into it. Right. And, you know, I, I can think of a few breeds where I imagine uh, they probably shouldn't run. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, certainly they have to be able to breathe well. And so when you have some of those um, what we call brachiocephalic, so their noses are kind of smashed in, then uh, they have a harder time breathing. And a lot of those dogs, you'll find also their um, the nasal folds um, are kind of closed in. So they can't really pass air through their nose. And because they're kind of scrunched in faces, you'll also find that uh, the uh, epiglottis uh, will kind of block their airway. Um, so it just makes it hard to breathe. And that's why you'll hear those dogs. You know, those are the yeah. pugs and things the, like yeah. that. Bulldogs. Like, make so much noise. <laughs> yeah. And it's just because the air is having a hard time passing through. So uh, probably not the best uh, idea for, for taking out for a jog. Sure. So, and so, you know, with that, uh, idea, I guess, dogs with longer snouts 
would be more ideal for, for that. Type yeah. You know, that you have, yeah, nice open airways. Yeah. Cool. Um, and so, you know, if someone's looking to, uh, uh, to run with the dog, um, what, what other characteristics are they looking for to have a, a good running partner? Well, uh, again, you're going to you, certainly you want to make sure that they enjoy it so that they're enthusiastic and, you know, um, you know, energetic uh, are good things, you know, and a lot of times we think about getting like a longer legged dog. But I'll tell you, I've seen some of the best dogs, you know, companion runners have just been some of these little short dogs, short legs that people just got out of the shelter and they just, you know, go like crazy. Um, you know, Jack Russell's, you know, they're small dogs that, man, they love to run. So um, I guess it's just more of, you know, enthusiasm and, you know, kind of some energy to burn. <laughs> yes. I've got a mini Aussie and he is uh, an awesome running partner. Um, most people know him. His name is Miles. Yeah. Uh, and he's just been fantastic. Um, I, I actually saw a woman that does ultras with a uh, Dachshund. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, your first, not what you would t typically think of your first choice. No, no, no. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if you've read the book Gobi. Um, that was uh, the gentleman was doing the um, uh, eco. It was like an adventure race. And he picked up this uh, kind of, you know, mud, if you will, just this small little thing in the Gobi Desert. And the the dog did the, you know, whole thing with this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. Uh, so, yeah, you can't, can't always predict which ones are going right. to be the best runners. Yeah, right. So, um, cool. Um, so, you know, uh, a lot of times people will get dogs as a, as a puppy. Um, and then, you know, what would be the, the first steps in, in kind of leading him down that path to, uh, to run with you? Yeah. So, um, you know, early on, you know, you're just letting them kind of play, you know, because they're, they're going to want to run, but usually it's like, you know, short burst of high activity. So, you know, you kind of let them do that, especially like out in the, in the yard where you've got some nice soft surfaces and they're kind of contained. But, you know, you can, you can encourage them. You can run back and forth. You just kind of start to build that up a little bit. You'll certainly want to make sure that they're socialized. So that's something that you do early on. Um, normally, we're really starting to want to get dogs out for socialization, you know, really by like 8 to 12 weeks of age. Um, so get them out, get them socialized, both with people and with other dogs. So, you know, that when you're meeting uh, other dogs or people on the trail, you know, that, that they're friendly and they, they you know, know how to interact with the other animals. Uh, so just get started early with socialization. And then just over time, you're just going to kind of slowly add, you know, more uh, running, you know, as far as time and distance. And when do you think is a good time to, to start that? At, at what age? Well, you get worried about... Um, you know, animals with open growth plates are just going to be uh, a little bit more likely to get injured. And so growth plates, so they finish growing usually around a year and a half of age. Now, that doesn't mean that you wait until a year and a half to get started, but just kind of keep in mind that they are prone to getting injured uh, a little more easily, you know, up until that point. You'll see different recommendations as far as how much exercise dogs can or puppies can take. Um, I've seen a couple of different, you know, sites where they'll talk about like five minutes per month of age. 
So that means if you got a five month old puppy, you know, that you could think about 25 minutes worth of exercise a couple times a day. Um, and then that exercise, uh, again, should be things like playing, you know, some running, you know, going for hikes. But, you know, I wouldn't probably take a five month old puppy for a 25 minute, you know, trail run. Um, but you certainly could take them out for, for shorter, you know, shorter periods. But I mean, if you're really looking to do a good long run, you're waiting until they're at least a year to a year and a half of age to, to kind of put that kind of time. Once they are, you know, of age beyond that, you know, year and a half and you've really started to build up their tolerance to running, is there a limitation that you would say, you know, that, that you know, this is probably a good rule of thumb to not take them further than this? I would, I, I let them kind of, let them tell me, you know, because every dog has their own, you know, level of endurance. You know, if it's a good runner, they'll go, you know, faster, further um than you know than others and so if they're really starting to lag you know that you've kind of pushed it and you know kind of have to back off as long as there's water and they can stay hydrated they typically are going to be able to to once they get the endurance after they build up just like with us you don't jump off the couch and do a marathon so as you are building that up they typically are going to be able to do as much distance as we are um, they can be four legs and closer to the ground. They can be much more efficient, you know, running. Um, so, so they can, you know, do all that. But one thing I end up talking to people about is if we're talking about running with dogs. And so that's great. Where I see some dogs getting into trouble is when people go mountain biking with them because mountain biking, we're only exercising half the time, you know, we're coasting half the time. They got to run the entire time. Um, if we're out running with them. We're running the whole time and exercising just as much as they are. So, you know, we, we get on a long run, right? And here we are, we're providing ourselves with calories and, you know, I usually already talked about making sure that they have plenty of access to water, but um, do they need calories when they're out running for an extended period of time? Um, I haven't run into that really being a big issue. It's, it's more the water, the hydration. Um, we are, you know, built for endurance better than, you know, a dog is. Um, they're going to be faster, but then you know, wear out a little bit quicker. So, you know, talking about the dog, there are those exceptions, right? They get the dog in the Gobi desert, desert, you know, they went a long way. The woman that has the, the dachshund that does ultras, you know, so they can do it. But generally, you know, we're able to go longer, slower, uh, and then just keep going where they'll, they'll wear out a little bit faster than we do on long, long runs. Uh, and so, you know, back to like when they're in their, their younger um, months even, um, would you say, uh, there, that it would be uh, beneficial to do some sort of, uh, obedience classes or are there some, some commands that you might say, you know, these are good commands to work with them and, and teach yeah. them? Yeah. Yeah, certainly. I mean, yeah, we started out talking about socialization. That's what we do early. And after that, then definitely go into obedience classes. you certainly want to make sure that you've got a dog trained, uh, for recall, you know, that when you call him, that he will come back to you. Um, so you definitely want to make, make sure that um, you've you've got control. So they they should be obedience trained, certainly. Cool. Um, and you know, obviously, and um, we'll we'll touch on the the leash laws and such later on. But you know, training a dog um, on a leash is is very important. Um, and but um, how to best make them comfortable 
um, on a leash, you know, not only them, but, but us as well. Uh, is there, is there good training tips for that? Uh, certainly when you're starting, you definitely want to make sure that you have a short leash that they're not going to get kind of tangled in, you know, or, or wrap around things, you know, over time, you know, especially if you're, you know, get that recall training, you know, ingrained, you know, and give them a little bit more, you know, length on, on the leash. But, um, yeah, starting with it fairly short, you know, and, and doing it like in the backyard, you know, um, with that training. Um, and that's a good place then to learn that recall too, because they're on the leash. And so you can kind of encourage them to come towards you by pulling on that leash a little bit. Um, and so that way, you know, you can, you can train them to, to call when, uh, come when they're called. Um, but yeah, so just, you know, don't give them too much room, you know, to start out with and get tangled up in. And where, um, you know, when, when I did obedience school with Miles, they wanted to have Miles learn that he should heal to one side or the other. Um, do you have, like, do you think with running, I mean, sometimes like think about single track, yeah. the dog can always be on your side. Like if you're teaching him to be on your side, um, and he's going to try to stick there, you know, it might not be the most <laughs> efficient for him. Is there a, a better way to try to train him? Yeah. I mean, so it depends on what your purpose is, right? So when you went to obedience class, they're not thinking about, you know, running with him. They're thinking about going out, walking down the sidewalk, you know, you know, being around people. Um, so with us, then yeah, single track, you know, there's probably not going to be room for him to be side by side. So, you know, um, most of the dogs tend to trail behind, you know, um, with my dog, when I run, I try to keep him in front of me because I can keep my eye on him then. So I know if he's going to wander off and start sniffing instead of, uh, keeping up with me and then get lost. So it, it, it depends on the personality. A lot of dogs like to trail along behind and others just, they want to be out front and just, you know, and then turn around and, you know, make sure that you're still following them. So it's, Honestly, it's whatever your preference is and what the, the animal's preference is and just to make everybody happy. Yeah, I, I've noticed with Miles, since he's more of a herding breed, that he's got that proximity. You know, he just he gets all sorts of anxious if, if he's too far ahead or, yeah. or too far behind. He like starts chirping. Yeah. Let me know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. We, we got to get back together here. Yeah. Uh, so they, they do have that ingrained nature sometimes. Um, and let's see. Um, uh, we kind of talked about, you know, starting out, um, you know, how much time and how often, um, what are some things we should keep in mind, uh, when running with the dog? Um, it, what are some things like that, you know, um, we want to make sure, you know, they have water, um, you know, the leash, like what are some other things that, you know, should go through our heads that, you know, if we're preparing to go out for a run, yeah. like we need to bring this. Right. Right. And so I try to scout out like the locations that I'm going to go because I'm not carrying like a bowl and a jug of water. So, you know, I'm trying to make sure that I've got places where there are streams, you know, stream crossings, things like that. So that I know that, he, you know, he's going to come across a, a place that he can, you know, tank up on water every so often. So finding the right location, other things kind of thinking about is, you know, surface that you're running on. So, um, you know, we've been talking about trails because that's what, what tends to make the most sense. You know, if you're running with your dog you know, on city streets, it's fine, but kind of keep in mind that, you know, certainly can wear on their pads. Uh, certainly it's a harder surface, you know, so a little bit more jarring on their joints. 
So uh, trails are just a little bit more, you know, friendly. Um, you know, if you're running on gravel, you know, it depends on, you know, that kind of surface that can be kind of rough on pause. Um, as we build up our time on running, those, you know, those pads do toughen up. Um, so, you know, they can take on, you know, some harder surfaces, you know, as, as they adjust to it, but trails are, trails are nice because they're a little bit more forgiving. Do you ever recommend the, the little footies, the booties that, you know, I have used those probably where I have used them the most will be like in the winter. If there's like snow, you know, because they got fur, you know, in between their pads and you'll see a lot of times that they just get like little ice balls, you know, in their feet. So, uh, they can be, you know, very beneficial, um, for that. I do know people that use them if they are running on, you know, those, uh, rocky surfaces, you know, so gravel, things like that, where the dog might, you know, cut his pad on a, on a sharp rock or something like that. I'd say in general, most dogs don't like those booties. Um, they certainly can get used to them, but you'll see when you put them on, they'll just sit there looking at you and holding one foot up and after the other, just trying to try to take it off or something like that. But um, most dogs, you know, with some training, will will get used to them. If the pad does get, you know, kind of dry and, and, and crack, you know, a little bit, I mean, not necessarily like cut or bleeding, but um, is there anything that, you know, topical that we can put on there? I mean, if it's just kind of a, a dried, you know, kind of an issue and you're just trying to moisturize, you know, same kind of things that we would use. But an easy one is just like Vaseline, you know, then just, uh, just, you know, get a little moisture in there, lubricate it, kind of soften it up a little bit. Some body um, glide. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, in general, mostly you're trying to actually toughen up those pads, not get them, you know, not get them softer. Right. So, um, yeah, usually that the, the issue is trying to make sure that they get balanced. Right. Uh, um, you know, so uh, we've kind of talked about just going for runs, long runs. What about workouts? Um, what do you think on on bringing them out for workouts? So that, you know, if you're talking about like, like a fartlek run or something like that, um, is some dogs will do great with it, but it's probably not the ideal, you know, for most dogs. And for, I guess, a couple of reasons. One is you're out there for a specific, you're, you're training, you're trying to think about, you know, what you're doing and having the dog might kind of distract you from your effort. Um, because you, you do have to pay attention to your dog while, while you're out there. So, um, it might be, I probably would leave the dog at home if I'm going for, I mean, anything other than, you know, if the training run is just like long distance, fine, you know, but if it's, you know, I got to hit this pace at this time, you know, then if the dog's lagging a little bit, it's going to ruin your run. You're going to be unhappy with your dog because they're messing you up. So, just if you're out running with your dog, you got to check all that kind of stuff because, you know, they're they're part of it. And running is your hobby. It's not necessarily their hobby. So we want to make sure that they enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, Miles is, um, you know, again, he's kind of a, a herding dog. So he, he feels like running is his job. <laughs> and a lot of dogs are that way. And those will be some of the dogs that, um, you know, that that are good if you're looking for a breed you know to run with you know the herding dogs you know some of the terriers um a lot of the hunting dogs so things you know dogs that were bred that they that they need a job yep. then running can be their job yeah yeah it's he gets cranky when he doesn't go out just like all yeah. of us <laughs> yeah yeah 
but he also lets me know if, if we're going too fast. Uh, sub seven, he is not happy. Yeah. And uh, sub six, he is definitely chirping and pissed at me. So yeah. <laughs> he does yeah. not go out on many workouts anymore. But yeah. Yeah. So that's, I think that would probably be the case with a lot of them is they have a pace that they're going to be happy with. And it may not be the pace that you need to hit that day. So right. if you've got a specific workout, then you just concentrate on you. Yep. Yep. Good call. Um, so, you know, we kind of already touched on the trails and, you know, we, we know that they're, they're good companions out there. Um, but, um, what other safety considerations, you know, should we have for these guys? Um, you know, we, we, we go through hunting season, uh, you know, so what, what kind of things should we consider? We already started talking about snow and ice, you know, for their paws and water sources, but uh, what are some considerations, uh, for them, for their safety that we should? Yeah. Have? Yeah. So certainly, you know, you want to make sure that they're visible, um, you know, so a lot of people will get like, you know, have a jacket on them that's, you know, bright or, or a brightly colored collar. You certainly want, um, identification on them. Um, so in case they do happen to get, you know, separated that, um, that they've got a tag with, you know, your name and number on it so that they can, you know, be found. Um, one thing I like a lot is, um, the microchips that you can get. Because those are then implanted, so in case they happen to lose their collar, they still have ID. You know, if they end up at the shelter, the shelter always scans every animal, and if that microchip pops up, then they can you know contact you. So trying to make sure that they're ID'd, trying to make sure that they're visible. Um, you know, during uh, uh, hunting season, it wouldn't hurt to even have like a, a little bell or something you know a jingle on them um a lot of people with collars i mean they have the rabies tag and they have their id and they have a couple of different things and so you got metal that will probably be clanging a little bit so it'll make a little bit of noise um so that can be a, a safety um procedure cool awesome um kind of a strange question but how is their night vision how do they do uh with you know their vision is not as, as good as ours. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they don't do as well, you know, in the dark. Um, so just, yeah, cats are better, you know, vision. Um, but, yeah, dogs, it starts to get a little dim a little earlier. Should we get them some uh, headlights? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, go to our favorite trail running store and buy another headlamp and put it on your dog. <laughs> Awesome. Um, all right, let's let's talk about the leash laws. You know, we, we were saying we were touch on this, you know, a little bit later. Um, why are the leash laws in place? Well, keep in mind that uh, what's well, so it's safety, you know, for um, other people on the trails mostly. Um, you know, not everybody is going to love your dog as much as you do, so they might not necessarily want you know your dog running up to them and wagging their tail or jumping on or whatever. Um, people on mountain bikes don't want a dog running up and knocking their tire and knocking them over. So a lot of it is just being considerate of other people. Um, it will make it more safe for your dog too, as far as, again, not running off, getting lost, not getting in an accident, not finding another dog and getting in a fight. So, um, safety for your dog, but it mostly it's trying to protect the public. Right on. And, you know, is, is that something that's easily accessible to find out if there is a, a leash law? Do, uh, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you look, um, you, just a real quick Google search, almost everywhere around here um, says that they require dogs on leashes. 
it's typically not enforced. Um, but you know, I was look, I mean, anywhere on the parkway, Bent Creek, uh, any area in Pisgah that is developed for recreation, which is a lot of Pisgah, um, any state forest, any state park. So most, most places that we would be going, you know, are probably going to have, you know, a leech law. Like I said, they're not typically enforced. You don't have rangers out there and, you know, that are looking for, you know, dogs uh, off leash. But um, keep a leash with you and then you can say, oh, he just slipped out of this and let me put him back on. I have a retractable uh, leash that goes into the collar. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I want to say it's night eyes. I'll try to put a link in the show notes. Um, let me make note of that real quick. Um, collar with leash, um, about, uh, so basically, you know, it's got like a little handle and, um, you can just swipe that with your finger and pull it up as if somebody comes nearby or, you know, you see a ranger or somebody, uh, it's great in, uh, in DuPont state forest because those guys are out and about and they will drive right to you (laughs) if they see your dog off the leash. So, uh, it's really handy. Uh, like I said, I'll throw that in the show notes. Uh, cause you know, he can kind of run, I can run. And then, you know, if, if we come into contact with somebody, I can grab the leash. So, you know, I have yeah. control of him. So it's, that's, those are really that sounds handy. like a great product. Yeah. Yeah. But my, my first foray with having him on the leash, um, I had, uh, this one that it wrapped around my thumb. So it was like a glove almost. I was like, Oh, this is a great idea it. Uh, he wrapped around a tree, like you were saying, and it snapped my thumb. Uh. <laughs> I broke my thumb. So, oh. uh, yeah, I was really um, not in favor of leashes thereafter. Yeah. On the trail, but, right. you know, I, I think this this collar uh, leash has uh, worked out pretty well. So, um, and um, the other part of this, too, is that when we're out running, we should obviously, you know, clean up after our dogs. Um, but oftentimes we don't we don't know what to do with it once we clean it up. Do you have any suggestions on that? Yeah, to, to me, I think the worst thing that I've ever seen is when somebody takes a bag and scoops up the poop and then just leaves it sitting there on the trail. Right. I mean, yeah. that's that's the worst to me. I mean, I would rather not even pick it up because yeah. at least then it can, you know, uh, dissolve and, you know, right. run away. So yeah. um, typically, you know, ideal would be that you pick it up and you pack it out. Um, the other thing is just trying if, uh, um, just try to make sure that they don't go to the bathroom on the trail that other people are going to step in. Um, so if they, uh, we can take them off the trail and go out in the woods. Great. You know, if they go on the trail and you don't have a bag, you know, just, you know, find a stick or something to try to, you know, move it off the trail. Just, just trying to be considerate of other people are going to be using that trail and don't want to step in, in that. Um, a lot of times they're so excited. You know, I, I know like when we get out of the car, Miles is beside himself, even before we get out of the car. Um, and he starts barking and barking and getting excited, you know, and I, like, I know if we're running and he's barking and somebody else is on the trail, it can ruin their trail experience. Do you have any recommendations for barkers? Is there <laughs> to, uh, to slow them down? Yeah, not, not really. I mean, that's, that's a self-rewarding behavior. So they enjoy it. And so they, they get triggered when they do it. Um, you can't really punish them for doing something that's their nature. Um, so it, there's, there's not going to be, you know, a good, 
uh, a good solution to make them stop barking other than let's just get them running because then it's, it's harder to bark while you're panting. Yes. Gotcha. Um, are there things that we can do to keep it like our, our dogs running long and, and healthy? Are, you know, are there certain things that we should be looking for, um, whether that be, um, something within their diet or, um, you know, uh, I, you know, I always see in the, the stores, the, uh, treats with the, uh, hip and joint special, like, you know, glucose right. and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just in general, it kind of depends on obviously confirmation of the dog. So some dogs are going to be more likely to, to end up with arthritis, just the, the way that they're, you know, formed. Um, so yeah. Probably the number one thing, and this is probably the same with people, number one thing you can do to avoid injury is don't be overweight. Um, so that just puts so much extra pressure on the joints. So uh, keep them keep them trim, um, just regular exercise. So don't let them get out of shape over the winter and then hit the trail like a maniac in the spring. Um, so, so just, you know, regular conditioning, good nutrition, you know, uh, just like with us, uh, you know, if, if you eat well, you're going to feel better. So, um, good nutrition, the glucosamine chondroitin kind of things, omega-3 fatty acids, those definitely have been shown to help, uh, with joints. If we have a dog that's prone to, uh, getting arthritis, um, it doesn't hurt to use it, but if you've got good confirmation and you're not going to have a problem, then, you know, you're spending money on it that you don't need to. Um, but it doesn't hurt. It's just that it's not going to help necessarily. Um, cool. So those are the things that I look for. All right. No cross training, yoga. <laughs> Little down dog, right? Um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, overuse. I mean, if you're just always just pounding, 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 um, same thing every day, certainly, you know, you are kind of setting yourself up, you know, so certainly, you know, it doesn't, you know, if you have a dog that likes to swim and, you know, swim some, you know, um, uh, you know, running, running's fine. Maybe, you know, we just go for a walk instead of a run, you know, this day. So just mix it up a little bit and just not, don't overdo it. Um. You know, I, I think about ourselves, how with runners, we're just so straightforward um, and, you know, we need to work those lateral muscles, you know, like they always say, soccer players are a little bit more healthier because they have the lateral cuts and stuff. Um, I mean, you know, it would be the same thing with dogs. I mean, like I love playing Frisbee with Miles, you know, he <laughs> he's all there. Yeah. Most dogs will kind of do a little bit more side to side just while they're out running. They're not focused on just getting straight down the trail so a lot of times they will you know kind of be you know moving from one side of the trail to the other because they smell something you know um so they probably are getting a little bit more of that core workout than than we typically get because we again this is this is a a hobby of ours and so there's there's a certain goal that we're trying to achieve dogs are going out there without a goal in mind gotcha um, so say something happens with the dog, um, best to just get in, you know, with the vet as soon as they can, if, you know, if he's hurting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If they get an injury, you know, then have it checked out, you know, it might be the, the worst news that I have to give people is rest him because a lot of these dogs are like, you don't understand doc. He'll just go berserk if he doesn't get out and burn off some calories every day. But, you know, if you've really, you know, strained a tendon or ligament, you know, if you don't rest it, it's just never going to heal. 
So try to find, you know, other ways of uh, entertaining them and give that some some time to, to heal up. But, you know, a lot of times it'll be something minor and it's no big deal. But, you know, um, always good to get, you know, an injury checked out. And you know, I will say um, it's always good to to not only be um, aware of your surroundings, but be aware of their surroundings as well. Um, Miles was bit by a copperhead. Um, you know, I, he was with my wife. Um, I don't mean to blame her, but, (laughs) 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 Um, so, but, um, yeah, you know, being aware of what's around them as well. Um, you know, we definitely will see snake bites every so often because dogs will poke their noses in places that we're just going down the trail. But like I said, they're, they're checking everything out. So they might poke their nose in some place that, uh, they, they shouldn't. And, um, luckily, we don't have the uh, porcupine problem that they have out west, and uh, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. I talking to vets out west that that can be a nightmare killing yeah. a, a dog. We we ran into Miles and I ran into a, a porcupine. Um, thankfully, not close encounter, but he crossed our path, and Miles was like, you know, he's not too curious, so thankfully he didn't like go after it. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, it definitely oh, it just scared me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. You know, and then I guess the, you know, the, the sad reality is they, they do age, you know, they, they do get on in age and um, it's obviously too soon for us to, to, you know, to say, oh man, he just can't do what he used to do. But as they start to wind down, um, when you know it's time to just say, okay, it's, it's time just to walk. Yeah. And so as we're paying attention, just the whole time we've been talking about as puppies and uh, all, all the way through, just kind of watching them as far as when they start to lag, they're having a hard time keeping up, you know, then we know we need to slow down. Uh, if they really are slowing down, you know that you have to make that a shorter run because they just don't have the endurance. If they are limping afterwards, you know, if like the next day, I mean, they just have a hard time getting up and moving around, you know, that, um, you know, probably you got some arthritis and just that kind of exercise just gets it flared up. And so then they stiffen up, you know, when, when, when they rest. So you'll see those kind of things that they're, they're just paying attention that they're having some problems. And so you just you slow down, you don't have to stop, but you slow down. But at some point you've slowed down enough and made it short enough that, uh, you know, it's, it's not worth it to, to try to get them out for a run and just take them out for that walk and just keep those joints active without necessarily pounding the joints quite so hard. Gotcha. Right on. Um, so two kind of, uh, you know, it's on the, the topic of dogs, but, you know, um, not necessarily when we're running with dogs, but, um, you know, two encounters that runners come across. One is we find um, a hunting dog, for instance, um, or we just find a, a stray, you know, and, and um, when should we concern ourselves with with the dog, you know, I, I know it's, it's, you know, we want to help it, but especially in the case of the hunting dogs, the owner may be looking for it too, but you know, what's the, you know, what's the protocol there? What's. <laughs> yeah. With hunting dogs, I mean, it can be, I guess two things can happen. Sometimes they get mad at you because they wanted the dog out there. Yeah. Uh, and so you just returned the dog that they actually had out, you know, hunting. Right. Um, but then the other is, yes, they can wander off and get lost. And so um, usually hunting dogs are going to have 
plenty of ID on them, collars and tags and stuff. So you'll be able to, um, you know, call, you know, call the owner. So yeah, maybe get the dog back to the car with you so you can get to your cell phone and give them a call. If it's a dog without a collar, um, I mean, if it's not a hunting dog, it's just one that you can tell he's just out there. If the dog will let you, because a lot of these dogs will be scared and you can't get near them anyway. But if you can get the dog, I try to at least, you know, get back to the car and, you know, call. If they don't have an ID, then I try to get them to a vet, you know, to see, have them scanned to see if um, they have a microchip. So that, you know, I'm trying, trying to track those owners down. Um, but yeah, if you've got a dog that's out there and there's nobody around, then they're probably lost. Yeah, especially, you know, I've come across a few of them that are just so emaciated. Like the, the collar's obviously not pinging anymore. You know, it's been out there forever. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, you know, you try to pull them out of the woods. Uh, you know, I came out of the woods the one time and there was the hunter. Um, you know, just, just sitting there trying to get his cell reception. So he, yeah. you know, what was going on? I said, Hey, I found your dog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, and then on, you know, on the other side of things, we may come across dogs that are aggressive. Uh, they can be aggressive to our dog or they could be aggressive to us. How do we handle those situations? Yeah, I try to, um, usually if you're just loud, you know, if you just yell at them, you know, um, then they tend to back down. I, I try to keep my eye on them, you know, because if you, if you turn and you're going away, um, a lot of times they'll just come up behind you and, and, and nip you in the heel or whatever. So I keep my eye on them. I yell, you know, just try to be loud and, um, you know, let's see if I can just get them to kind of back down and, you know, move around. And if, they, um, if they're aggressive towards your dog, um, yeah, you got to be real careful because it's our first instinct to protect our dog. And if you jump into the middle of it, you know, then you're asking to get bit, you know, yourself. So that, that can be tough. And if you've got a little dog and you just pick them up and hold them up over your head, man, that's going to, a lot of times it's going to make those dogs start leaping up in the air after your dog. So, um, uh, definitely I, you know, try to get that dog away. If he's really coming after my dog, I'm probably going to look for uh, a stone or a tree branch or something to just try to make sure that, um, I'm making an unpleasant experience for him if he keeps coming after my dog. <laughs> right, right. Uh, we've only had minimal encounters where a bear has been aggressive towards us. But is there anything like, you know, for instance, you talked about earlier, the bells, yeah. um, you know, that, that's a, you know, could be a deterrent because it alerts them that there's something, you know, unnatural in, in yeah. the area. Anything else you can think of? I, uh, very early on with my the dog I have currently, we were out on a trail running and we came around uh, a curve. There was a bear right there that neither one of us saw. And we were so close by the time we saw the bear. And unfortunately, she had a couple of cubs. And so my dog took one look at me and then ran. <laughs> and that left me there. So now that bear was looking at both of us, watched my dog run away, then turned back and was looking at me. And and I just did what the, what you're told to do, right? Make yourself big, make yourself loud. And um, fortunately for me, 
Um, she kind of kept looking at, back at her cubs and then finally just turned away and went down the, the trail after her cubs. But, uh, yeah, I thought I was, I thought that was, my dog was smart enough to know I don't hey. have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. And yeah. he took off. Yeah. Uh, we, we got chased by a mom. Um, we, I didn't realize we were between the cub and the mom. Uh, I saw the cub in front of me and didn't see the mom. So I, you know, I turned around and she was charging. Um, and so Miles and I just took off to get yeah. away from the cub. Yeah. And, uh, you know, fortunately when we got past the cub, the, you know, she let us know that we had screwed up <laughs> by just giving us a bellowing growl, but yeah, uh, you know, it, and, it stopped pursuing. Yeah. That's, I mean, the thing is, is, I mean, they're not usually coming after us. They're just protecting their cub. So just, uh, stay away from the cub and you're usually going to be okay. Right. Right. Awesome. Um, Mark, I really appreciate the time. How is it, uh, how, how best to reach you if people have questions? Um, you can give me a call at uh, Charlotte Street Animal Hospital. Uh, probably the easiest way. Cool. All right. I'm just going to put that in the show notes. Um, awesome. And thank you again for, for sharing all this. Uh, that was awesome. It was, it was a great, uh, great to hear all this. I hope uh, people pick up you know, some stuff from it. This was a requested episode, as I told you. So, you know, I know people, um, had some, some specific questions here. So you answered a lot. Good. I appreciate it. It's good. Good seeing you again. You too, man. It's really good to see you, man. Good to catch up. Well, thank you, Mark. For your time and, and sharing your expertise, um, I like I said, I really enjoyed that conversation and um, understanding more about um, how we should we should treat our companions, uh, especially when we go out running. So, thank you, sir. Um, if you have questions, once again, I will put uh, Mark's contact information uh, in the show notes. Again, he can be found at Charlotte Street Animal Hospital in Asheville, North Carolina. So, thanks again, Mark. Um, on to my big news. Um, wow. This, uh, this came about, um, kind of quickly and, um, you know, I, uh, I had a conversation with the, uh, the run eight to eight foundation that, uh, I was formerly the, uh, the president and founder. Um, uh, so, um, um, they have asked me to come back as race director for the hellbender 100 miler. I am, uh, Glad to say I, I gleefully accepted uh, the role for 2022. Uh, the, the race will not happen in 2021. Um, you know, the reason being is that um, the Blue Ridge Parkway is not permitting races for more than 50 people for the foreseeable future, and that's following our North Carolina state guidelines. Uh, it's 50 total, no matter what, wave starts or not. So, um, you know, the, the foundation has decided not to host it in 2021. I was not comfortable in hosting it in 2021 is, uh, part of the reason why I stepped away. I did want the race to take place. If someone felt comfortable enough to do so, I was not comfortable last year or this year putting it on, uh, just new, you know, due to numerous reasons, but, um, but yeah, so, um, I'm coming back for 2022, which I am enthralled about. Um, some of you probably saw it on social media and, um, yeah, it's going to be going to be awesome. Uh, we've already started our planning. Um, we are requesting a early May date 
for next year. Uh, the other great news is that we will be able to run out of Camp Greer, our starting area, on trail. So we do not have five miles of road to start. We will get onto the trail right away is the plan for next year. That also means that we can finish at Camp Greer. So we will have the same starting and finishing point next year. So extremely excited about that. Um, you know, hopefully uh, everybody's okay with uh, with our um, with our ideas. Um, Hellbender has a lot of different entities through which we have to permit. Um, those being the um, National Forest Service, the National Park Service, the um, North Carolina State Parks, uh, the North Carolina Department of Transportation, and we have to deal with emergency services, which includes uh, fire, police, uh, rescue, and EMS in two different counties. So it is a lot. Uh, and the, you know, actually, the um, National uh, Forest Service is actually two different ranger districts. So it's a lot of coordination. And um, I, I'm grateful and most thankful to uh, my good friend and uh, and actually previous guest on this podcast, Bart Smith. He is the one that helps me with permitting. Uh, we coordinate that together and uh, he facilitates the communication between myself and, uh, and the different entities. Um, I am uh, very, very excited to have him back on board, as well as um, you know, a ton of people have already stepped up and asked to help out and and fill roles. So I am eternally grateful. Um, I'm just going to mention a few people here. Uh, Abby Harris, uh, who's also a previous guest, Abby is uh, going to be back on board and, and helping uh, to a, a variety of capacities. Uh, I don't want to limit by saying just a few because she does so much. So thank you, Abby. Um, I also have uh, Clay Warner and Sam Reed. Um, Sam is also a previous podcast guest who just set the uh, self-supported FKT on the uh, Foothills Trail. Sam is uh, and Clay are going to be uh, doing the volunteer coordinator roles. Uh, we need an army, uh, literally, for this event. Um, so if it's something that you think you could uh, help out with to whatever capacity volunteering, I would love to hear from you. Uh, you know, going forward, we are going to have so many needs for this race. So I um, certainly appreciate that. Um, a huge thank you to my my great, great friend, Victor Mariano. Uh, many know Victor here in Western North Carolina. Victor is amazing uh, in doing trail maintenance um, and, and helping with a lot of the uh, uh, the timing and logistics of the event. Um, Victor is just an amazing individual. So Victor is uh, is helping me with the, uh, the trail coordination and, and making sure all the trails are in great shape. Uh, we'll be having work days and such. So if, if that's something you're interested in joining in as a volunteer, that would be tremendous. Um, you know, we'll, we'll definitely have work days for, uh, for those trails, uh, as we get closer to, uh, 2022. Um, and if there's any major names in the meantime, we probably will, we'll address those as well. So, um, stay tuned for those. Um, and then, um, we, uh, we typically have a medical director, but he potentially could be moving away. So, uh, we are going to have an, uh, an open spot. Uh, we have, we have a few ideas of people we might reach out to for our, our medical director, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, that's definitely a role that we need to fill. Um, as well as, uh, if you are a medical personnel, uh, it can be a nurse, um, it could be, you know, a doctor, uh, I mean, uh, it really nurse practitioner, anybody with, um, you know, uh, first aid or, um, you know, medical training, uh, will, you know, if you have wilderness, uh, medical wilderness training, 
that's tremendous. You know, we do need medical assistance at our aid stations. So uh, you can also volunteer to that capacity. Um, let's see. Gosh, um, there, there's, there's just so many people that help out with this event. So uh, I don't want to forget anybody. Um, but, um, you know, as time progresses, we'll be talking more about Hellbender and, uh, and what's going on. And, and if you can help in whatever way. I truly, sincerely appreciate that because, as I said, this this takes a community. Um, I have been blessed with having the community behind this and uh, and you know taking ownership of aid stations. Uh, it just it becomes such a great team, uh, you know, collaborative of of Western North Carolina and beyond. You know, we have people that are running aid stations from. Gosh, all over, you know, Michelle Hartwig from, uh, she was a previous podcast guest. She puts on, um, Hennepin and also, um, uh, Kettle Moraine. She was going to come run an aid station. The bakers who put on the, uh, Georgia Jewel were going to come run an aid station. So, uh, you know, um, Nathan Learman, uh, he was, um, on the podcast, uh, with Lisa Landrum for the, uh, Rim to River in West Virginia 100. Uh, he was going to come, uh, from Charlotte. And I mean, it's just, it's tremendous the people that, um, are engaged and involved with this event. So, um, if you're interested, just reach out to me. Um, and I will make sure that we communicate to you, um, you know, please include your interests in what you want to do, uh, whether it be course marking or, or whatever it be. Now, keep in mind, our race does start on a Friday. So our course marking takes place during weekends, or, sorry, during weekdays. Uh, we typically have to mark on uh, Wednesday and Thursday just because uh, the entities that are permitting us do not want our course markings out any earlier. So um, we mark during the week. So if you're interested in that and have the capacity to do so, uh, they are long, tough uh, legs of marking. I will say that it is a full day of being out in the mountains. Uh, so uh, be prepared for that. Uh, we also need sweepers, um, aid station volunteers, course marshals for the Blue Ridge Parkway crossing. So there's so many jobs and roles uh, to be filled. Now, you know, again, this is next year, but I just want to get it out there. So if, if you want to be involved in this and be around, we totally appreciate that. Um, when we get the registration up, we will also have a link for volunteering. So you can sign up for a role to uh, to volunteer and then we'll communicate uh, your, uh, your, you know, your shift, what, what time that will be, you know, what, what role, uh, the description of the role and make sure you understand what you're doing. Um, so, so many things, uh, so many things that, that go on to this and, uh, you know, we have to pick up trucks, so we need people to help us pick up and, and drop off the trucks and, uh, logistically, you know, move things around. So there's, there is a lot, a lot that goes into this. So, uh, you know, just putting that in your minds now, uh, cause <laughs> I'm sure it'll be here before we know it. Uh, cause like I said, we're already planning and, uh, you know, I, I really, really am glad that, um, I have the opportunity to do this again. Um, it, you know, it is, it is a passion. Um, I was definitely sad and my wife was mad at me for, for giving this up. But as I said, I just wasn't comfortable and I didn't want to be selfish and just say the race isn't going to happen just because I'm not going to put it on. So, you know, you know, giving it up, um, what is it they say? You know, if you love something, set it free. Um, if it's truly meant to be, it will come back, uh, something to that effect, but it's, uh, you know, I am glad it's back and, uh, we are going to work so hard to, to make it the event that it deserves to be. And I, I hope you can be a part of it to some capacity, whether it be running or volunteering. Um, you know, and if you want to go beyond and, and help out, uh, on our, uh, on our race committee, I sincerely appreciate that as well. Again, just reach out to me. My email is runningpains at gmail.com 
runningpains at gmail.com. You can also reach me through my website, mrrunningpains.com. Um, and uh, you can reach me through Facebook. Uh, I have the MR Running Pains Coaching Facebook page. Um, if you're friends with me on uh, Facebook uh, through Aaron Saff, that's totally fine too. Um, I do respond to the instant messenger on there. Um, I'm also MR Running Pains on Instagram. And uh, I do respond to the messenger on that as well, as they are connected to Facebook now. So um, multiple ways to get in touch with me. Um, and uh, all of that's in the show notes. So if, if you missed that, uh, I'll have it in the show notes of, of how to connect with me. Um, what else? Um, yeah, that's the huge news. Um, I do need to take a moment to say thank you to um, my new Patreon supporters. I'd like to thank Brandon Whistler. Austin Elder, Tori Greaves, Dennis Patnote, and uh, Victor Drastow for all of their support on Patreon. Thank you guys so much for for contributing um, on a monthly basis, uh, and really, it, it means the world to me for that. Thank you guys. You know, and if you want to support, if you can support uh, through Patreon, uh, there's links on my website that you can do so. You can also just go on to Patreon and look up the MR Running Pains podcast, uh, and uh, and you know see uh, see what um, uh, see the links there to to uh, join Patreon and support on a monthly level. Uh, I totally understand that uh, you know not everybody has the finances to do so, uh, but um, you know I, I just want to make sure that. Um, uh, if, uh, if you do, um, then, uh, by all means, um, you know, that, that would be wonderful. So thank you guys for, for that support. Um, I also, I uh, should say, um, congratulations, um, and that, uh, to, uh, Michael Patton. Michael Patton is, uh, is one of my athletes. Um, and, uh, Michael just finished the fierce dragon, 200 miler, 65,000 feet of elevation gain. Holy smokes. 65,000 feet of elevation gain. That's insane. Um, it takes place on the Duncan Ridge trail. Michael tied for first place with David holiday. David and Michael are both, both going to be on the podcast, uh, next week. So next week's episode is going to be with the two of them. And we're going to talk about this, this adventure. I went out to support Michael for, for one of the days. Uh, it's just phenomenal that what the both of them did. So news course record, um, and like I said, tie for, for the win there. Um, they were the only two finishers such amazing. I mean, the weather, everything, uh, phenomenal, very phenomenal. Um, so, uh, you know, congrats to those two, a huge effort, uh, really awesome. First person I've ever coached for a 200 miler, uh, couldn't be prouder of them. And, uh, man, just really cool. Uh, very, very cool. So, um, let's see anything else. I think that covers the, the, the major things. Uh, but once again, thank you guys. Thank you. Uh, if you can't support, uh, on Patreon, please just like, uh, or subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, uh, on Apple iTunes. Uh, that, that really does help others hear the podcast, see the podcast, share it. If you feel like it could, uh, do somebody beneficial, that's all great ways to help support this podcast. You don't need to always, uh, you know, monetarily donate to a podcast. Those are huge ways to help. And I certainly appreciate that. So, um, you know, thank you guys for everything. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your ears. Thank you to Mark Lydiard, uh, uh, 
<laughs> led your excuse me for your time today uh, on this podcast, and uh, look forward to. Uh, to sharing Michael and David's story about the Fierce Dragon 200 next week. Until then, guys, keep running and take care. 